Hello, welcome listeners. Um, this is your host for this episode, Adam. Uh, and uh, before we get into um, you know the regular intro music and um, the rest of the episode, um, we just wanted to remind you um, that uh, we are launching doing live streams. So um, our first one was last week, last Tuesday, and um, coming up this Tuesday, um, we're going to have a live stream uh, on YouTube, uh, and it's probably going to be around 8 p.m. like it was last time and that's sort of the schedule that we're going to be trying to to keep going forward uh, and we'll announce it beforehand on Twitter and, and things like that but uh, please you know join us for the live stream uh, and uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel um, you know subscribe to our Patreon if you enjoy what we're putting out um, all our money goes to writers um, so um, without further ado um, we'll continue on with the the rest of the pod, and um, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Escape from Plan A. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. Uh, I'm your host for today, uh, Adam, uh, and I'm here with um, returning, you know, editor and podcaster, uh, Philip. What's up? What's up? And we're really excited to be potting for the first time with our special guests and hopefully not for the only time, uh, Connie Griffith. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And um, just, I guess, for the listeners, since uh, you know, it's the first time you've been on, if you could just give a little introduction of who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I am a Chinese-American game developer. I have been doing this since 2003. I started as a QA tester on World of Warcraft. Ooh. And, oh, yeah. yep, I uh, ended up working at Blizzard all while you know, finishing up my college degree, and I ended up just picking a career in games, much to the uh, chagrin of my of my parents. But um, now, fast forward, like some 17, 18 years later, um, I just find myself in this really kind of strange position um, of having kind of been 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 in the industry for for a minute, and you know, seeing how the landscape has changed, you know, both as a woman and, you know, as a not white person. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's been quite a journey. Awesome. And I, I feel like Adam and I are, are pretty excited to have you on because this is like maybe the third or fourth episode we've done on Escape from Plan A about gaming, right? Like yeah. we're kind of all over the place, but this is the first time we actually have an expert on, like someone who's in the industry and like makes games for a living and stuff. And so right. it'll be better than, you know, the two of us or other folks uh, who've talked about games before who just kind of blather on without actually knowing what we're talking about. So <laughs> excited to have you. Thanks. I, I will want to say I, I don't feel like I'm an expert, but I'm just <laughs> happy to share, you know, sort of how I've seen things and what yeah. I've experienced. But yes, I absolutely. I, yeah, so um, just to do a little um, house cleaning, um, podcast house cleaning. So, uh, you know, follow us um, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your pods. Uh, and also um, jo- uh, visit our website, uh, planamag.com. Uh, and um, if you like what you uh, read and hear, please uh, subscribe to our Patreon. 
or uh yeah subscribe to the patreon um every everything that we collect from our patrons and um, we go to uh paying writers out there um so uh with that out of the way, uh, I guess we'll just dive into it. So the first thing we really did want to talk about um, is the diversity in games and game development, uh, and sort of um, you know what that means or what what, what your experience has been, uh, you know, being in the industry, uh, Connie. Yeah. This is obviously a pretty hot topic, I think, for most of society. And, you know, games has been having its own um, sort of wrestling with their internal culture and the many ways in which it's proved out to be problematic. And so um, I think especially in the wake of what happened, you know, with George Floyd and the protests this summer and the Donald Trump presidency, I, I think a lot of game studios and game developers are sort of thinking about these issues a lot more, both in the terms of the art we make, and then also in the diversity of um, folks that make games. Um, and, you know, to be clear, the games industry is a lot like the entertainment industry. And so a lot of the things that you see happen in like film or television, right, uh, are similar trends that you see there. But, um, you know, lots of game companies these days have started, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion councils. Um, there's much more concerted effort to, you know, publicly support women um, and and um, also, you know, look at other marginalized folks and, you know, whether they have voices, whether they're being supported. And, you know, the, it's like we're both adjacent to tech and adjacent to entertainment. And, mm -hmm. you know, the numbers right. are not great in either of those fields. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I was actually going to say that I, I feel like it's, uh, yeah, it's a hybrid for sure between tech and entertainment, but it also has all the issues that tech has right now as it pertains to diversity because tech and gaming are like these industries where they kind of purport to be progressive, mm -hmm. right? I don't want to say purport to be d d uh, diverse because that's the issue we're talking about here, but like they claim to be progressive. They claim to have people who are, you know, a little bit more kind of out there, like, you know, think about like hacker coding culture, right? The creativity of, of video games. And you do see some of it come through, like where, um, you know, games are trying to actually like make an effort to make more female characters, like, you know, characters in like wheelchairs, like very explicitly trying to address specific um, issues of diversity. Yet every fucking, you know, quarter, there's another scandal at Riot. <laughs> right yeah um <laughs> specifically at riot too <laughs> yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about riot a little a few times here i feel but um yeah so i mean like connie throughout the years you've you've seen you you've been in it for you know a long time like has it gotten better has was it was there first of all was there a time when this wasn't an issue like i feel like diversity has always been kind of like a thing that gaming has kind of like wrestled with to some extent because like I said, it purports to be progressive, right? But was there a time like way in the early days where no one talked about this shit at all? Oh, yeah. And I also think this idea that games, you know, have embraced this progressive identity, that that is a relatively new thing. Yeah. I mean, well, I, now that I think about it now, I feel old, right? When I think about, <laughs> oh, that was in 2011 and 2011 was 10 years ago. But this, um, is, a, this is a safe space for that. <laughs> <laughs> we're all uh, yeah you know there was a while where there were lots of game companies where you know what they would say is like hey look we don't want to be involved with that shit right we're just here to make you know cool games right and cool stuff and we're not trying to weigh in on politics or any of that stuff 
And, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of well-meaning folks who, you know, I think they said that, you know, sort of, okay, I am throwing shade now, but I think it comes from the same space of like, I don't see color, right? You know, right, 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 where right. Well, it's yeah. just like, yeah, this is a space that's outside that, right? Like, you know, everybody can enjoy games, true. You know, the people who enjoy games are super diverse, also true. Very true. But when we talk about who are the people that are starting companies, who are the people that are making hiring and firing decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Who are the people that have the money and the, I don't know, social institutional support to go out and do these things. Yeah. Right. Then we start looking like all the other sectors that are grappling with this. Right. And I think because games is, you know, this bastard love child of tech and entertainment, um, it's why you see a lot of that. We sometimes get the worst of both problems, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think this is probably a tangent to it, but like, you know, because we are tech, there is that barrier there where um, I don't even think it's necessarily like racialized or, you know, is a, is a gendered sort of thing, but, you know, creating barriers to entry to be able to be in games, whether it's because you don't have, you know, a white dude network or, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, didn't go and get a, you know, fancy degree and, you know, or an engineer, right? Um, right. Y- there's been a lot of effort, I think, both in trying to push accessibility and diversity in terms of like, no, let's go out and hire those candidates, but um, a rethinking of, well, once you get those people in there, you also have to support them, right? Like, you can't just mm-hmm. like throw them somewhere and be like, okay, now do stuff and then not answer, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into this here, but it's been talked about ad nauseum, right? The microaggressions, the, you know, the horrible, like, well, we just don't think you're a culture fit, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say <laughs> right. in, in my experience, right? Like when I first started, I was the only woman uh, in my entire department, I think. I think for a while, and this is in like the mid, mid 2000s, so like 2010, actually, uh, I would be like the only woman in my entire building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I used to joke that the upstairs bathroom was like just mine because, you know, who else was <laughs> right. there? Um, so it's it's those kinds of things that make you realize that it's, it's just that's just a decade ago. Yeah, yeah, that's not too long ago. I mean, and, and I guess this is you mentioned this because and this is something I don't even I, I think a lot of people don't um, sort of think about because they think about video games sort of as like a, even though it's technology, it's sort of like in that media sphere. But uh, because it is a merger of tech and, and art and, and tech and media, is there so is there that gatekeeping of the uh, credentials of like the engineer uh, maybe on the engineering side where like and and, and Philip you can probably talk to more to this because of your sort of Silicon Valley and more tech uh, uh, you know quote unquote uh, traditional tech background but there's you know there's you need to come from the right schools right to have the right connections. Mm. Um, is there a similar thing in the engineering side of game game development? Oh, well, I think that's one way that at, at least I personally think games is good is I don't personally see that. I think okay. it depends on the studio, right? Like certain tech heavy studios are just going to demand that you're a programmer, but I don't think anybody really cares about your degree. Or like where you um, went to school or anything like that. Sure. Maybe if you make it to the C-suite level, right? They like to go and this person went to Harvard or MIT, right? But I don't think when you're you know on the ground making games I nobody gives a shit about that stuff there's a lot That's of us that interesting. are interesting oh there's a lot of us that are feral right some of the best designers um that I know right are like me we didn't get degrees in anything that had anything to do with video games or tech I'm a comparative literature major you know <laughs> for example and 
Take that, liberal arts people who, <laughs> who make who shit on liberal arts degrees. Yeah, and so that is one sort of nice way in which I don't think that education credentials. Now, um, you know, this is not unique to games, but uh, and I'm you're probably going to hear me say that a lot. But where you worked matters, right? Like, okay, for example, I was lucky enough to start my career at Blizzard, and I spent. Um, with like a year or two gaps in between as I like uh, took time off to, you know, finish up school. But since I started my career, you know, at Blizzard and spent, you know, eight years yeah. there. Um, it's a little known studio. They, they make games you know, that no one knows. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but uh, it it did make it so that um, you automatically get conferred certain status. And that's true of any okay. of the, the big studios. If you've worked on big game projects, right, uh, big studios, right, there, there is that sort of credentialing system. Right. Okay. And and is that what you mean sort of by like that that networking? Cuz you mentioned, you know, sort of like the white guy network. And I guess there's like the there's one that you build from school. Yeah. Which I was sort of alluding to. Mhm. But also there's the one once you get into and you have jobs, right? And I think it does that sort of just compound because like most of the industry is very white, just like the tech and and entertainment industries and therefore like you just sort of build that network out because of like who's hiring and who's firing. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. It's the the typical, right? Like people feel comfortable around certain people because we are entertainment tech, right? People want to hire folks that they feel comfortable around. Um, and especially once more scrutiny was cast on the industry, certainly people wanted people around them that you could trust. So um, once folks started getting in trouble for behaving in certain ways or saying certain things that we probably shouldn't say anymore right there was this idea that like oh i need to hire people who are cool right and yeah that does that does end up resulting in a sort of bias whether unconscious or otherwise and i and i i think a thing too that people um sort of overlook is a lot of the soft work the lot of the trust building happens in spaces that are not games like look Fucking mm. nerds are awkward, right? Every every <laughs> industry event that I've ever attended, you know, in like I'd say the first 15, 16, even now, right? You go to GDC and it's just like bar crawling. Don't get me wrong. Fucking love that. I have I have done my fair yes. share. But it does create an environment where people who are not comfortable in that space, you know, um, like there's the oft talked about GD sprays. You walk in and there's go-go dancers. And like, you know, as a woman, you just have to decide whether you're okay with that or not okay with that. Right. And mm. um, whether you're okay or not with it, it does create a certain as- atmosphere. It does create certain expectations and um, that can be very off putting. And I think that's an important discussion that I think folks are now having. So I think there's a huge pushback, for example, at having alcohol driven events. It's like, yeah, okay, we get it. The only way you can get nerds to socialize is to pour alcohol down their throats. But what are other things we can do? We design game experiences for players. Why can we not figure out ways to make ourselves comfortable and able to network with each other without the social lubricant of alcohol? Yeah, and I think that's sort of like a stereotype. Like, I think in the business world where where I'm sort of where I reside, um, most of the events were alcohol driven anyway, and they weren't sort yeah. of the stereotypical nerds that you could you know you have to sort of draw them out. Uh, and now I think even in the business world, um, they've sort of they've drawn back on that. You know, they've drawn yeah. down because they can't have the Christmas parties that you know that are just debaucherous because people get in trouble. 
and it puts the company in trouble. And, you know, they found other ways to sort of get people, you know, to, to, to sort of socialize. So, I, you know, I find it funny that like <clears throat> people like to stereotype like nerds as being <laughs> awkward. I think everyone's sort of awkward. <laughs> like, <laughs> True you facts. can't, you can't always get like the business, like, you know, like the traders on the floor to like, you know, socialize with the, you know, the middle office. Like they're not yeah. going to, you know, but, uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's yeah, interesting. But what's, what's interesting to, to me here is that like gaming's actually trying to change this a little bit, right? This like yeah. culture around how we socialize where, whereas I can't see like business, right? Not doing really. that yeah. in the same way. That's a very broad thing, right? Um, tech too, like I don't think that tech has really made it distinct effort to socialize outside of just like the traditional ways that people do that with booze and whatever. Um, I actually want to ask about um, kind of one other factor when it comes to like getting into gaming. You talked about credentialization and so on. What about this aspect of like passion, right? Because this is something that like, yeah. I, I feel like about the, the video game industry in particular more so than tech, more so than just entertainment is like, you have to have a passion. You have to be a gamer already and have a passion for games and maybe even the specific games made by the company you want to work for as part of your resume, your CV to getting in. Is that generally a factor? And and like, I, I'm asking about this because I think it's related to like this, the all the issues that come up because because you get drawn in based on passion, you have to be excited about the stuff you do all the time, right? Um, it means that the, the corporations can then abuse you either by paying you less or treating you poorly or whatever it may be and get away with it. Oh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> no, but Liar. Yeah, but no, that's, it's, that is definitely a thing. That, yeah. it, that, is, that is definitely a thing. Um, I think a lot of companies have pulled back from that. And I, 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 I think really? that's really great. Oh, like you can just oh, yeah. get it. Like, a, like I can get a programming job at Blizzard just as a programmer. Don't really, I kind of play games. Don't really care. Everyone plays games, right? But like, that's a path because it. From from my experience of like hearing about people getting into games, especially because games is kind of uh, this funky newish industry where you know there aren't there are there are colleges that specifically put you into gaming, right? But like, it's an area where you hear stories about people who like your path, Connie, right? Like loved games got into just QA like at the kind of you know almost the bottom of the hierarchy and then built your way up by working hard you know showing uh passion right um <laughs> and and like you know doing things beyond your current job title and making your way up into quote unquote like you know more more um prestigious you know roles within the games industry right that's the story that i hear a lot and and that kind of thing again worries me because it it invites you know, this commitment you have to the corporation, much like in tech where they talk about like tech companies being like a family, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that allows the company to then start to treat you poorly and especially treat you poorly if you're a minority. Right. Right. Getting back to the diversity thing. No. And I, and I, I think I still think this is an active problem where there is this idea, you know, the whole be cool culture and what what does that mean to you? Like, what is that just like a culture fit thing? Like, what does that mean? Yes, I th I think there is definitely, uh, and I say that I've definitely you know have taken damage from this sort of thinking, and whether it's real or perceived, like it is a real thing, and I think 
I'm not alone in feeling this where you feel the need to be cool with stuff that eh, maybe you're not super down with. Like, I'm not saying like you're offended or, you know, triggered or whatever, but you're just like, I, I, I don't know, I guess, sure, whatever. And you do enough of this, it starts to eat away at you where you realize that this is not exactly a place for me, right? And the way these people behave or the way the culture is at the studio, um, it might not be something that you're entirely comfortable with, but because you feel like, again, the whole passion thing, this is your dream yeah. and you love what you do, yeah. you know. You don't speak up, right? Yeah, not even not speak up. It's just like you kind of train yourself to not care. I, I actually had this... So I, I, I went to go start a new studio under Wizards of the Coast and, you know, all my coworkers right now are, are women. It's total accident. I love my teammates. But one of the things we talked about is, you know, is there a way that we can escape the fact that all of us are industry veterans and, you know, we've been mm -hmm. in a male dominated, you know, industry and can we even extract ourselves from the sort of toxic behaviors that were necessary to succeed that got us here. And uh, I think that's one of the issues that does hurt diversity, where, you know, the way to succeed is not the way that we need to go forward. And um, I think I'm wandering away from the original topic, but I, no, I, fine. yeah, I think that whole be cool culture is really harmful in that it requires everybody to sort of take an active step back and say those words like, hey, this might be the way that we did it, right? This might be the way that I got here. Is this really the best way? Is this mm -hmm. the pipeline that we want? Like, I don't recommend anyone take the crazy path that I did into games. I started in QA, then I was like customer service. I was the front desk at Blizzard for a while. Then I was someone's secretary. Um, I did a bunch of random ass shit to get to where I was in my career. Mm -hmm. And um, now, yes, you can go to school and pay a lot of money and go get a master's in game design. Right. And, um, you know, I don't think that it's bad to have that path, but I think us as an industry, it's up to us to push back and reform. So some of the things that I'm seeing in the games industry, like right now, that I'm loving is, hey, let's really rethink what it means to be an associate, right? Mm. And, you know, it seems weird because this is sort of like an economic labor issue, but I think that that and diversity are inextricably tied. And I say this because when we're talking about what are our standards for actually, you know, hiring someone in at the associate level, you know, what is a staff? What is a senior, right? Mm -hmm. Not having those clearly defined, like right now, go pull five different game studios, big studios out there and ask them how they would describe a narrative designer, which is currently seen as the most accessible role. Like that is the, 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 sort of job role that students most often tell me that they want to be. And it's just because they're like, oh, because I don't have to be an artist. I don't have to have technical knowledge, right? Like, or I don't need a ton of it, right? It seems like the most fun because you make a story. There's not a good understanding of what any of those things are or what those various levels do. And so you'll, sometimes the joke on game dev Twitter is like, oh, right, associate level experience needs to have already shipped a game, have, you know, a four-year right, bachelor's right. degree. And you're just like, <laughs> That's fucking insane, right? Like I've right. interviewed people who all they do is like live their lives as a modder and they have incredible ideas. I, I as someone who is feral myself, right? Having not been formally trained in anything in I games. I love that term, by the way, feral. I like it too. <laughs> it's just badass. I'm just anyway. like, <laughs> but uh, 
I, I pride myself and, and not for on- For everyone listening, she actually made the cloth. <laughs> <laughs> she actually uh, did that. Anyway, go ahead. You know, it, it's, it's not about whether or not you come already packed with the knowledge, right? Like the things that I'm certainly curious in when I'm hiring is, you know, do people have intellectual curiosity? Like, Going back to your mm-hmm. original question, Philip, about, you know, whether you need to be a hardcore gamer or whatever, I think it certainly helps, right? Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of students, it used to be like back in the day, okay, if you're not a, like, I know Riot was sort of famous for this word, you had to be a hardcore leak person. And then anybody who joined the company now, you had to serve a stint on the, you know, League of Legends, you know, team. I don't think that's a bad thing, but that's kind of, you know, neither here nor there. But I think... When I interviewed with them fairly recently, like I think a couple of years ago, they did not have that at all. And this was after, mm-hmm. you know, the whole 2018 debacle with them. And I think that is what's shifting us to a more, you know, healthy society or I guess healthy industry, because we're actually appraising people for what they bring into. Certainly, I want someone to be excited either about the genre of game we're making or other types of games, you know, that are in the same wheelhouse. But um, I, I, I try not to, and this is what I mean. Can we ever really extract ourselves, right? I try and have to consciously fight my urge not to go, oh, you don't know everything about, you know, the game that I made. Why should we hire you? (laughs) But that's terrible, right? Because like, how else are you going to get interesting and new blood into, and, and I don't know, I'm one of those people that thinks of making video games as art, right? I know that's debatable and people... Whatever. I don't know how anyone could really debate Video it. games Chris, is art. Chrisman yes. is wrong, by the way. Matt Chrisman <laughs> is wrong. It's, uh, it's art. Yeah, Roger uh, Ebert. Yeah. It's uh, art. It's yeah. art, right? And I, I think that if you try to formulize it too much, you take away from some of the un- unexpectedness. And, you know, I don't know how familiar both of you are about this, but Nintendo had this policy that their designers are actually not people from, from games. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, see, I like I like that. I mean, I, I think I, like I think it makes sense because you're not going to be able to get newer ideas or or sort of different thinking if um, you're too familiar with something. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, I truly believe that when it comes to to art or or any sort of art, right? Music, movies, TV, you know, writing, any of that. Um, certainly to to what we do uh, with Plan A. So yeah, it's. It's interesting, though, that you, you feel like the industry is making strides and is getting better with not sort of uh, requiring <clears throat> to be, you know, that you be a hardcore gamer or even like a very specific like game, right? I think the desire for people to still, you know, know and understand games is there. And I don't that I don't think is an unfair requirement, right? Sure. Like you've got Twitch, you've got YouTube, right? You've got all of the Internet streaming at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. With any, you know, creative endeavor, I was like, you can do some research, you can understand on a professional level, like, why do people like this game? What is its appeal? What are the core design principles behind it, right? What is the core aesthetic that's being accomplished in this game, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that that there's any, you know, gatekeeping there, right? Like, that's something anybody can do, right? Um, and if somebody didn't do those things and was not excited about games, my first question was like, well, why do you want to work in games? The pay sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another issue too, right? About the pay and the scales and like like the pay scaling and how people sort of get paid. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think because we've, we've had a lot of discussions about um, sort of, you know, because when you talk about like diversity, inclu- uh, was it diversity? Um, equity inclusion, and inclusion. Equity. I always forget that one. Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. The equity part, right? 
for me can in, in, entail many things, but one of them is sort of like pay, right? Like yeah. the equity that you're sort of getting out. Obviously, equity can have a specific meaning when it comes to finance, meaning sort of maybe ownership, but <clears throat> obviously that's not on the cards <laughs> for, for most employees. Um, but like that sort of pay equity or the pay um, a, a, or openness even is, is a pretty big issue, right? I, and not just in games, but I think in, in, in business in general. Um, sort of how transparent it is, um, you know, and, and it goes to what you were saying also with like how you do, how do you define the levels? Like, mm-hmm. what's an associate? What are they expected to do? And even from that more general area, like, what's a narrative designer? Like, is there an industry wide understanding of what that means, or is it sort of whatever every any company decides? So th- there's a lot still to to happen though, right? In in the gaming industry around that these questions. Yeah. And, you know, there was International Women's Day, or I guess it's month. And, you know, of course, you get on social media and everyone's kicking off their kicking off their their campaigns. Corporate campaigns. Yep. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But one of the things that I saw go around that I retweeted, which, by the way, is actually kind of controversial. I've gotten into it a couple of times on Twitter with people about this. But it's Mm -hmm. like, hey, happy International Women's Day. Share your fucking salary with the woman you work you work with. And that makes people really upset, right? And they feel like they're being asked to do something that, you know, they shouldn't be. And I was like, no, you're right. That's why companies should make that transparent. And I'm not even saying that companies need to disclose, you know, their full, you know, spreadsheets or whatever, right? Uh, For me, it's, I don't know that there's anything, Glassdoor already, you know, sort of of, semi-accurately, whatever does it. But this idea that you can just post in general, like, this is the pay band that we would expect to pay an associate and, you know, so on and so forth. And these are the requisite skills. And do we have programs in place, especially if we are a older, larger, more successful studio, that we have pipelines in place to help outsource talent from places like... Another thing in games, you know, which is just true in general for tech is it's largely concentrated in some very expensive parts of the country. And it's also... Uh, North American centric, right? And someone mm-hmm. even argued like American centric. And, you know, there are all these great folks, you know, that are doing amazing things in games that are not in North America. And like, for example, GDC is held in fucking San Francisco and it is over a grand to pay for a ticket to go to some actually pretty cool classes. But I've actually been to some GDCs where I bounced through, through the classes where I was like, I, I don't know why my company paid so much money for me to do this. And then I go and just go network with someone, right? And that's mm-hmm. actually better use of my time. But just the fact that, you know, they're holding it in one of the most exorbitantly expensive cities, right? On the West Coast of, you know, the US, where our country recently had a bunch of visa issues, right? For folks or just even allowing people from certain countries right. to come in. You know, there's there's all this, there's all this like weird. I don't know what you would call it, sort of like subtle, like under the radar gatekeeping of like who gets to be in the game developer community and who doesn't. And so I think all of that hurts the diversity issues. And I think most of all, right, like going back to the pay, it's it's the reason why it's it's a big deal to me. Um, 
again, I understand people's concerns. I'm not telling people, right, like, oh, your personal financials should, you know. We don't want your bank statement. <laughs> right, right. But I will tell you that um, it's crazy. One of the jokes in the games industry is if you want to get a raise at the company that you're at, right, like leave and come back. I mean, uh, that's yeah. not that's not uncommon though, right? Yeah. That happens everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was just talking to my brother-in-law uh, over the phone today and he works in – uh, like CG, but not in games. Like he works in effects for movies. And he basically said like the only way you can actually get a pay raise is to like move around between companies, mm-hmm. right? And like get a higher paying gig at a different company and then maybe make your way back if you like the first place. Because their whole MO is to basically keep you around doing as much work as possible for as little pay as possible uh, for the time you know, for, for mm-hmm. however long they can, right? Because a lot of it is, um, and this is especially true for big studios where they're pumping out, you know, insane, huge titles, right? Like Marvel movies and so on. And they have massive teams working on these effects because it takes a lot of work, right? It's actually really hard creative work. Um, and so, they need to, to run by these models. Um, in the same way that, you know, I was talking to, to Jess on, on um, one, of our, one of our pods about like, you know, video games, the interesting thing about video games is that like it's an it is a creative endeavor it's you're creating art but also there's this large kind of profit aspect attached to it and so when you have you know companies that are like publicly traded and they have to like answer their shareholders and keep increasing revenue and profits year over year you get into kind of fucked up situations right where the labor gets taken advantage of because it's one way to keep things flowing is by like paying people less and trying to make more money in that on, on a bigger and bigger game like a bigger and bigger triple a title right um and we saw that fail like spectacularly with cyberpunk right just mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. three months ago uh almost to this day so you know like it, it, it that aspect of it is kind of like self um cannibalizing right like the fact that you're trying to make creative work but you're mm-hmm. also trying to like profit causes a lot of issues and it sounds like, you know, what the, what, what the leadership has figured out is that like, hey, we can get away with paying people of color and women and so on like less, right? Because they've had a harder time coming in. They got to come in like proclaiming passion. And one way you proclaim passion is like, I'll work for free or work mm-hmm. for, you know, mm-hmm. for, for, right. for uh, <clears throat> pennies, right? Um, but some of the things that you're suggesting, right, around like, oh, we need to kind of structure pay better. We need to have, you know, better ideas around like, like standardized ideas around like what an associate is versus a staff person and so on. That sounds like it's gaming trying to grow up a little bit, right? Like trying to mature a little bit in terms of like making sure that they're kind of, um, you know, like, uh, uh, pra- like practices around, um, you know, different roles and whatnot are, are more standardized. But is that going to actually solve the diversity issue or is that just going to make it so that like, you know, you, you come in as a person of color or a woman and you're, you're stuck in, as an associate, you know, for a long time because they don't promote women as much. Um, but you're still an associate, right? You, you, you know, you know how much money you're going to make, but you're not making that much more, right? right? I, I don't know if that mature, like that aspect of maturing the um, industry is necessarily going to solve the issue where there's like big pay gaps between certain groups and other groups. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's one of the things that does actually keep me up at night. Um, I, I don't know that it will, I don't know that any one thing will solve it, right? Like, this is a big thing to grapple with, right? And, you know, Adam, as you pointed out, right? Like, it's not just games. I think that, 
I've explained this theory before, but I think that there are at least three major areas that I think we all have to be hitting simultaneously, you know, specifically in games, just because that's mine. Um, I think that like just in broader entertainment, there's just this idea of cultural norms, right? And I think for diversity to actually take hold, we have to shift our ideas about, you know, what a game developer looks like, what a successful, you know, culture fit is at a studio. Um, you, we have to throw the fucking garbage idea that culture is this like intangible, unfungible thing. I don't think unfungible is a word, but I like it, you know, that it's this thing rather than it is this thing that, you know, changes and shifts with time. And, you know, some of it can be organic and some of it can be, you know, driven by people within the organization. And so I think there's that sort of culture, cultural, I don't know, approach. And I think that's one thing that you do see a lot of uh, public attention, like, hey, look, we just hired like a female VP, right? Like, oh, shit, right? Like, you know, check out all these women that are at our studio. Mm -hmm. I don't want to like sneer at it because I know it sounds a little bit like I'm doing it. But, you know, just like in Hollywood, right? You see Mm -hmm. that shit and you're just like, okay, that's great. That doesn't solve the other stuff. But I don't want to undercut the importance of changing people's ideas. Like, I can't tell you how many times, you know, someone has like, walked in and they're like looking for me. And, you know, I was like, oh, hey, does has someone seen, you know, Constance Griffith, right? I was like, oh, that's me. Part of it is I get Constance Griffith is like, a white asshole baby name. And I am a <laughs> small Asian woman. Um, but then they see me and then they're just like, oh, you're not what I expected, right? And they're not trying mm-hmm. to be rude or anything, but like, I get it, right? Like they, when they think about what they think like a senior game designer is, right? I don't know that like a, like a small Asian woman is what they imagine, right? Mm-hmm. And so shifting that, right? Like being able to see people, I do think there is some transformative power in being able to see People like you, people that are not part of, you know, quote unquote, the ruling class of games, right? Like rich white dudes who all know each other, right? Seeing someone who's different, seeing someone who operates differently up there, that is really powerful because you can go, hey, right? Like I can do that. I don't have to be part of this toxic culture that I haven't entirely enjoyed. I can lead in a different way. And, you know, that's why a lot of women in games, we have these informal um, networks, there's definitely like informal groups for like, you know, people of color and, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. And part of it is just wanting to see ourselves, you know, wanting to imagine how we can share these spaces and have, you know, places of power, but not follow the toxic mold. So that's one point, right? That's shifting the cultural mm-hmm. norm. Um, actually, I'm just going to stop because I, I want to let you both sort of, um, respond yeah. to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say like that's, um, that's, that's kind of like you know this corporate wokeness thing we're kind of alluding to here is fine and all but it sounds to me like by putting more diverse people on like the website or like you know at the events and so on so like people who are also diverse feel like they can get a job and work in games is great for getting people to like be able to imagine themselves being able to work in this thing they really want to try to do but it's not great if it's just a tool used to pull people into bad working situations, right? Yes. Like they had to fix Agreed. the issue yeah. on the inside as well around equitable pay and like, you know, uh, like racism and harassment, sexism, et cetera. Because, you know, it's not good if it's really just a way to like convince more women to work in games so that guys can harass them. 
right? Which is still an issue. Like, I'm just fucking shocked by how many times you hear about this and like no progress is ever made, right? Like Riot being the example we referred to earlier, right? But like that it keeps happening over and over again. And all the things they seem to be doing are the things we're describing here around corporate wokeness where they're like, oh, let's just like have a brochure with more women on it or like make sure the recruitment page has, you know, Mm -hmm. black folks on it or whatever, right? But they come in, they get paid, you know, a shit, a shit amount of money and um, get treated poorly as well. That, that's the issue. And I, I, I'm not sure, you know, I don't know if you're seeing anything where that's being kind of corrected and, and worked on. No, I think that's probably the part that, and I don't even think it's that safe to say this super loudly. Um, it goes back to the whole be cool. Be cool. Yeah, exactly. Be yes. cool. Yeah, yeah. To me, when, when I hear be cool, I hear, and, and, it, and this actually sort of, I think, relates to sort of like the, the network, the, the, fa- the networking sort of being really important to getting work, right? And sort of um, being a springboard to furthering your career. Because if you can get in like you did, Connie, at like a big company, then that sort of will help you immensely throughout your whole career. And when I hear be cool, I hear like a huge amount of pressure to basically look the other way not in, in scenarios where it's like maybe really bad, but also just sort of scenarios like you said, Connie, of like, oh, I don't really feel comfortable or that doesn't, that seems off. Mm-hmm. Um, and be cool sort of also to me alludes to being like, be loyal, right? Yeah. Be cool, right? Be loyal to me so that like, you know, if you sort of look the other way or you're okay with this, then maybe down the line, I'll help you out. And it it just makes me really. It feel, I don't feel good when I hear that whole like be cool attitude. It just conjures a lot of bad bad images to me. Oh, I mean, I I have a horrifying story from you know the very start of my career. I was like nineteen at the time. I was Oof. freshman, you know, uh, in college. I was you know doing a full course load and working overnights and uh, at my QA job. And you know, I was. Since I was the only girl and it was like an overnight shift, um, you know, the awkward nerds, right? Coming up, I'm 19, I'm dumb as shit, right? Um, <laughs> Aren't we all at 19? Yeah. And it got to be a little bit awkward where like, yes, dudes would just like come up and try and chat me up. And um, then there was like the weird like incelly thing where like, look at all those fucking losers like lining up at Connie's desk. Uh, I had one, I heard from another coworker who was actually my, my, um, housemate. Um, we both worked, uh, at the, in the QA department. You know, he told me that, uh, this one dude was, you know, calling it like the Connie fan club. And, um, <laughs> okay. you know, anytime, you know, they're like a work assignment. They're like, oh, of course. Right. Like Connie gets it. So that, that's, that's toxic in and of itself, right? Sort of discounting yes. the fact that you were good at your job and that's why you got fucking assignments. And I mean, it was only because you're a woman and that like people yeah, loved you I mean, because of that. Like that's, I was, yeah. that's, that's awful in and of itself. That's awful in and of itself. But you know, the part where it's like the whole be cool thing is just like, okay, I'm, I'm weirded out by this a little bit, yeah. but um, I had to talk with my manager and I was just like, Hey, look, I need you to like, stop giving me preferential treatment. Like, the way that testing worked because we had to like test on a bunch of old machines and like different OSs and, you know, nobody wants to end up on like Windows 95 or whatever. Um, <laughs> this is in the early 2000s, right? So, you know, usually you just draw straws or like you just rotate, right? It's a democratic mm-hmm. system. And then, sure. you know, there's the coveted sometimes if there aren't enough seats or if one of the, you know, older machines has just taken a poop for the day, 
you get to work on like one of the better machines. So my boss would just like frequently tell me that I could test, you know, on a machine next to him, which was, you know, one of the sort of like, you know, dev spec machines. I mean, he was the boss, right? So he had a good computer. <laughs> yep. Um, so I kind of told him like, hey, look, I need you to like not treat me like I, I heard the stuff because my roommate told me about it. And I was just like, I need you to not do that. Right. Like, I'm just here. I'm just one of the guys. That was the wrong fucking thing to say because mm. then he would do awkward shit. Like I was sitting there testing whatever cu- character create, right? And making sure that like, you know, whatever, whatever you had equipped would reflect properly in the, in the character window and all that shit. And so, yeah, sometimes it involved taking clothes on and off your paper doll, right? And he would just come by me and like make weird pseudo uncomfortable comments like, oh, that's hot, right? Like, oh my you know, God. just shit like that. And then he'd be like, what? I thought you said to treat you like one of the guys, right? And I was just like, okay. And that was my first introduction to the concept of be cool, right? Be cool, be one of the guys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, I think in many ways that has just like percolated, you know, throughout my entire career, right? Where, um, a coworker turns to me during COVID, right? You know, and it's coming down and they ask me, Hey, you know, I heard COVID is because Chinese people eat weird shit. Is that true? You know, like you gotta laugh and be cool about it, right? You know, you, mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's not as blatant as that, right? But there's a lot of ways where you kind of just bite your tongue and don't say anything. And I think the statistics speak for themselves. Like, not to, you know, flash my id poll creds, right? But to find a senior, female designer with my experience, my track record of shipping games. And, you know, I'm sure people will look me up after this, but I have, I have worked on a game that you've heard yeah, of. We, yeah. We, we found, we found the person who probably is like the coolest developer we could have found, <laughs> honestly. And, uh, you know, to find someone, you know, like me, who is a person of color and a woman and super experienced and shipped a lot of games, right? Like there's not that many of us. A lot of us have burnt out. A lot of us have mm-hmm, left the mm-hmm. industry, you know, like shit like Gamergate in 2014, right? I I'll- bet that pushed a lot of women out that were uh, probably, you know, pretty far along in their careers. I, I myself, you yeah. know, this last year or two thought about maybe I'm done with games, right? Like I do a lot of um, like volunteer activist work in the local Seattle area. And I thought maybe that's what I should go do, right? Just devote myself to that full time, right? I've, I thought about leaving the games industry and. Well, I'm happy think, you didn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's like my, my mentor, who is also a super fucking awesome individual, also a super senior woman. Um, you know, there's this idea that like, she told me it was specific about a job, but she's like, you don't have to stay and clean up the mess that somebody else made. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. But, you know, there is part of me that, you know, whether it's from, I don't know how relevant it is, you know, being an Asian American, right? I, I think, um, but I, I do think that's important, right? I want to see more non-white voices in games. You know, having someone who is not like the people that I see talking all the time, right? Who are at the front of GDC, you know, you know, panels or doing those things, like having more voices and speaking out like that, that is an important thing because I don't think the industry is necessarily always the way that it's portrayed. I mean, that's always true of any media, right? But there is some sense of responsibility, you know, obviously taking mm-hmm. my own personal ability to withstand it into account that I do need to speak up. I do need to push back against what I would certainly think of like sort of dinosaur practices, right? And some of those things are, again, going back to like, hey, it's great that we have DEI stuff, right? But how about that other shit, right? Like, 
why don't we do a pay audit, right? You don't even have to reveal the results to us, right? Like you can just do an internal audit and then indicate whether there are discrepancies and then you can go and fix that, right? And that's super hard. Nobody wants to talk about that. Companies don't want to talk about it. Companies don't like people who talk too loudly about it. And um, they've propagandized large sectors of our fellow, you know, colleagues in the industry to be angry and go after, uh, you know, someone on Twitter for proposing the idea, like, hey, share your salary. So, you know, people know that if they're getting fucked over. I got a question. Connie, do you know if there's been instances where a video game company got dinged for a, like, diversity fuck up, like a racism or sexism or whatever fuck up? And they actually took a hit to their sales. For example, I think there was a, um, an incident sometime back when like Assassin's Creed was reckoning with like whether or not they had female, like a female main character they could play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they like refused to do it for one game. I think it was Assassin's Creed, maybe like three or something. And then they, they cataloged and eventually did it. And I think Syndicate had the first like female playable character. Um, In the main line of games. I think they yeah. had uh, Assassin's Creed uh, China. Before That's that, right, but where that was like the a main side scroll, right, 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 yeah. right. But like, did they, like, did they, or is there another example of something like this happening where the games company actually saw some like boycott or some kind of like financial punishment for not responding well to some, you know, sexist thing they did? Oh, I think the blowback is always bad, right? I, it's difficult to tell in the noise. It's very difficult to filter out like the signal to noise ratio. Okay, and, and I think. That's, I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm not a fan of outrage culture, but especially these days, it's so fucking loud that it's really hard to tell whether people are actually upset or everyone is just expending their energy into being upset. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, there's going to be some amount of like outrage on Twitter, or whatever, yeah. like, you know, Polygon will write some shit about it. I, I don't care about that part. What I'm, what I'm wondering about is like, does it actually make a difference on their bottom line? Right. Cause I think this is going back to my, the theory we're talking about around like these companies needing to make profits on their games and mm-hmm. becoming bigger and bigger and mm-hmm. therefore being mm-hmm. incentivized to treat employees worse and worse, especially uh, minority uh, and, and female uh, employees, right? If they don't take a hit for fucking up, you know, on the diversity content, they're not going to learn their lessons. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I, I don't know that actually happens like if there's been a successful boycott of a, of a game because like, you know, they didn't include a female character or they, the, the, the creative designer did something sexist or whatever. Um, oh, man, that is such a thorny thing. It's such a such an incredibly like minefield laden uh, uh, discussion topic. Um, let me think about a way I can carefully talk about this and not get blacklisted from <laughs> games. I think yes, right? I think if there is an appreciable hit to the bottom line, right? money talks. And in the end, no company, you know, you got to be a really dedicated, committed company to want to fucking dive bomb your own sales and your public reputation. Sure. You know, if you've created a clear outreach. Mm -hmm. I think that because of Gamergate, I think that all of us in games who are not fucking idiots are very careful about this idea that we can use, you know, the court of public opinion to decide whether or not, you know, developers should or shouldn't be there. Like, don't get me wrong, right? We've gotten rid of a lot of like garbage people that way, mm-hmm. but you know, 
this makes me unpopular in some circles. I was like, yeah, but is that really good? You know, we're starting to see the way that cancel culture is levied specifically against, you know, more marginalized individuals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that Gamergate showed us that, you know, you can get a bunch of fairly, you know, small minority group of absolute fucking terrible human beings that will brigade, you know, and lobby for a developer to go away or for like someone who is in charge of a decision to be fucking fired. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, that's, that's not good. No video game company wants to ever, you know, feel like they answer to the player mob, but there's also, there also are customers. And so I do think games, you know, in general, people need to walk a careful fucking line about that. I would also have a different argument to make too, where, um, and this is not, I am not advocating or defending problematic content. I think when problematic content comes out, whether it's, you know, what people felt about cyberpunk or, you know, Ghost of Tsushima or, you know, whatever else, right? Um, I think we should have those discussions. And I think it's okay for people to be, you know, critical so we can have those discussions. But I don't know, you put art, you put stuff out and it elicits opinions and some people love it and some people hate it. And sometimes it's problematic. And, you know, I don't know anything that you can't find problems with, right? Someone out there is going to be offended by it. And I think, I don't know, this is super, I don't know, snitty of me, but it's like as artists, right? (laughs) uh, It behooves us to just accept that, right? Absorb that and let us think about how that shapes our art, right? Are we making our art for a very specific demographic? And increasingly, as someone who, you know, does a lot of like user research uh, now in my current role, the answer is no, right? Like Gen Z is very different demographics from the generations that came before it. And, you know, there is this huge tendency, like much more care for like social justice issues, right? Much more awareness for like, trans, you know, and um, non-binary, like non-traditional gender identities. And it's, Uh I think that that will shift the tide a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I think that it does also just have to be conscious because again, you get to a certain point and it's like, okay, yeah, we're all mad about this, but what are we going to do? Right? Like, I feel like Riot every 18 months just has another scandal. (laughs) And and that's the problem, right? Like, that's part mm-hmm. of the reason why I started getting more active is, you know, I'm so fucking tired of it, okay? Can we please stop having a Me Too movement in games? Yeah. You know, not because those folks don't deserve to have their voices. Absolutely, right? Like, I, honestly, I cry every time I see a trend on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's just very, like, it's like, fuck, it's right? Yeah. yeah. Can we not be like this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... That's why I worry too. Is that, um, yeah, like Philip, you were saying, like if we just have DNI to bring in sort of low level to mid level folks who are not sort of like the white male um, demographic, then I don't know how it's ever going to change. Where you know meaningfully, because a lot of this stuff comes from the top, and if you never allow anyone to rise to the top or, or in numbers that matter, right? Because you're always going to have one or two. Right, uh, uh, non-white guys that lead a studio or, um, like you know, uh, are CEOs of a company. Like you see that in a lot of other industries, right? In 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 finance, where I'm, where I am, there'll be occasionally, you know, a black CEO or a woman CEO or some combination of not, you know, of person of color uh, and gender. Um, 
you see that in in um in technology as well but you don't th- there's never i think a critical mass so i worry that like yes it may it, it's good that we have some representation of of a diverse representation but if it's not an if it's not at the right level and and enough people then it, it then it yeah like i worry that it's just to use this sort of like woke wash the companies for sort yeah. of their their continued you know capitalist pursuits of just make, making profit and, that, that's the thing um, like i i don't think by having like a diverse ceo you're going to necessarily solve right. the abuse of the labor force beneath them unless you actually solve the abuse of the labor force right like this is the yeah. same critique that leftists have of you know, putting a more like putting more diverse folks into power is that like, oh great, now we have a, a woman like head of Lockheed Martin. They're still making fucking missiles we bombed the Middle East with or whatever, right? Like it's not it doesn't actually solve the underlying issue of in this case imperialism, right? Or in the case of games like, you know, uh labor abuse or abuse of minorities, women, etc. So it's yeah, it's, it's it, the, the corporate wokeness thing is just as bad in in gaming as it is in tech and that that it's kind of disingenuous. It's not is there to make themselves right. look better. Right. And the, the fucked up thing about it is that like, they're completely incentivized to do this because by, you know, hiring more diverse people at the bottom rungs, you make yourself look better. You like launder your shit because you have a now like, you, you can show pie graphs that are more, <laughs> that have right. more even slices, right? <laughs> right? When you get audited, it makes you look good. And you also have a class of people who are, who are historically paid less and you can pay them less because of that. And that's fucked up, right? And so, like, these really, um, these really kind of radical moves, like fucking people sharing their, their salaries on Twitter or like and internal it is spreadsheets radical. and so it on. It is radical. It's super, it's super, okay, like, yeah. I saw this happen at, at Google when I worked there. Like, in the last year I was there, there's a day when everyone, like, put this spreadsheet together and, like, put their, their, their names, their race, gender, age, et cetera, years of experience title, on a, on a salaries, <laughs> on Google Sheets, internally within Google. I, n- I remember seeing it and thinking like, wow, I really don't want to be in the HR department right now because they're having a fucking bad day, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. But it was it was awesome to see, right? Yes. And so, yeah. I've also seen these threads where these hashtags around like equal pay trend on Twitter, usually around creative pursuits. I don't think I've seen one in gaming, but I've seen it in, in um, oh no, I've seen it in gaming specifically for artists. Um, but I've seen it for, for other industries as well, like writers and so on, right? And it's really awesome to see, right? Um, and it's really disruptive to the people in power because it means they now have to reckon with the fact that they're paying people low on, on, on two things. On one, paying people low, right? Which they want to do because it helps their, their profits. And two, on fucking up on diversity because now not only are you seeing that you're paying people low, you're seeing, they're seeing that you're paying like let's say black women lower than white men. Right. So those those are I don't know if they actually move the needle. Like Connie, I don't know if you've seen any changes since these big kind of like publications of salaries or whatever tactic you want to take, but like it is at least it gives more information to the world about the bad practices going on. Right. Like there was one hashtag that I participated in fairly recently, and I think it was hashtag game dev paid me. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. And so I shared my stuff and it was so weird. At least like two or three people at the studio I was currently at. And for I think three of them, this was actually their first, you know, job in games outside of school. And they like privately thanked me and said, yeah, you showed up on some like websites that like I read for like, oh, how to get in games, how to succeed, you know, because they're, you know, obviously early in their career. Mm -hmm. And they said uh, they thanked me because they're like, okay, like this gives me a better idea of, 
you know, what is the ballpark? What are my expectations? You know, what should I think about? Right. And I think that's the big thing. Like, look, like I have had situations. I worked at a studio where I was sort of in a, in a bad spot. Uh, like, right. Whenever you negotiate salary, right. If you're already Mm -hmm. like comfy at a place and making good money and they have to woo you and, you know, not the other way around. Yeah. You're going to go and be like, pay me what I'm fucking owed. Right. Pay me what I'm worth. But like for me, uh, just because of life shit, right. I needed to take a job. Right. Uh, and, um, I just named a number that I thought that I could get that would make me an attractive hire. And I later found out from, you know, one of my teammates uh, who got hired on, I don't know, maybe a few months after me, he was making like 20K more than me, like 15 or 20K more. I don't remember, but it was over 10K more than me. But he had like a fraction of my years spent in the industry, you know, a fraction of my resume in terms of ship titles. And then somebody else who I actually worked with before, right? And who was, you know, junior to me. Right. And, and we, we had not had, I had had an intervening job. You know, this person had just, you know, gone directly. That person came in 20K higher than me, even though at our last studio, our levels were completely different. And I remember when I went in and I talked to my boss, I discovered this within the first six months and I went to go talk and I was like, well, I mean, you're kind of driving to the point where, you know, you said you want to hire me. You wanted more diverse talent on the team, which I took to be code for we need more yellow women you know or Mm non-white women and uh i was like i you're pretty much telling me that you don't value me and i should go and you know the person's response was you know good luck you know if you need a reference i'll write you one right (laughs) right and and i wonder if that's because they feel like they can find someone else to replace you easily enough you know, at the same rate with the same diversity credentials or whatever, that it doesn't matter to them. Like, what? Why are they so? Like, how are they so cavalier about this? Is because like labor is commodity to in games, and maybe will be more so once they get their shit together around like figuring out like, different levels and so on and different roles. Like, why is it so easy to just do that instead of actually fixing it? I mean, I think part of it is what you were talking about is there is like a weird cult around being in games. Like, yeah, I'm so lucky. I mm-hmm. make video games all day for a living. Right. Like I get to think up of cool shit. Like, you know, should we have skeletons under the water or not? And I get fucking paid for this. Right. How cool is that? Also knowing that there are so many, you know, hopefuls out there that would be desperate to take your spot, right. you know, definitely studios, especially older, more established ones, you know, have the, ha ha, we're so-and-so, you should, you know, be grateful. There's a lot of mm-hmm. that. And all of it combines to, yeah, I think they do sort of feel that, but, uh, you know, the thing is they probably could not have easily replaced me, you know, and, and right. they could not is the thing. And, uh. I feel a little smug saying this, but, you know, in the intervening years, they have tried to get me back, right? And mm-hmm. I don't think that it was this necessarily, like, you're disposable, we can have, like, maybe there was a little bit of that, but there is this idea that, be cool, this is how the way things work, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not great, right? Like, they definitely acknowledge that this was not good, and when I asked, well, why was this, right, how did this end up to be topsy-turvy like this? It's like, well, you didn't ask for more. And I was like, well, I'm asking for more now. Can I have more money now, right? And, <laughs> yeah. um, 
this idea is if I didn't just, you know, play by the rules and accept that things were in like good faith or whatever, right, that eventually it would be made right. And they did eventually, I think like two years later, like adjust my salary. But at this point, the other people were two also- Two years later? Yes, yeah, that's, I calculated- you, you lost out on like- Forty thousand dollars. <laughs> like, uh, I did. I did the math, and just, uh, I lost thirty k in yeah, potential earned income. Man, yeah, but so, and they, but but the other people probably got raises too, right? So it wasn't like right. they made it right relative no, to the I, other people. No, I don't think I never. I I, I don't know because I never checked again with yeah. them. But I'm positive that there's no way I would have ever caught up with them because, you know, to have them bump me twenty k would have been just unheard of, right? But I, I guess that leads me to my third thing, right? We've we've talked about sort of shifting cultural norms, which is the space that most of the diversity initiatives are happening mm-hmm. right now. It's the easiest and, you know, the one that requires the least work and, and you know, money too to the company. Yep. It looks well, actually I, well, we, we can come back to that. We'll put a pin in that, right? I was like, the money that they fucking spend on being performative, I was like, why don't you yeah. fucking spend paying people? But anyways, and the second yeah. part we talked about is, you know, the underlying systems, right? And what are some actual practical means, right? Whether it's like pay banding or pay discrepancy or, you know, you know, better, you know, uh, hiring pipelines. But I think the third part, which is missing, which is like, I don't know any fucking industry under capitalism that has solved this, is like accountability. Really, that's the root of the the riots problem over and over again, right? And like, look, I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on with riot. Um, I don't, you know, want to weigh in at all whether you know things were good or bad there. But um, how how do we set up rules for accountability in games or elsewhere where we can address this? And I will say, like, this is the part where it starts getting super fucking dicey, which is. Um, in the end, we make entertainment. We make video games. We make shit where you can kill dragons with your friends, right? Like run around mm-hmm. and build, you know, castles out of blocks. Is is the role of culture, like, do we think video games, right, has the potential to cure social ills? I mean, I I don't. I don't believe that. I don't believe that as a game developer. I think that we are an important role, right? I think we certainly mm-hmm. have a say, right? But I guess, you know, based on, you know, my life experience, I don't know that that's the layer that it should be litigated at. And the other thing that I want to say, which makes me a little bit unpopular sometimes, is um, I'm obviously, you know, very left in my my thinking and politics, you know, but does that mean, you know, Folks that are to the right of me, does this mean that conservatives, right, don't deserve to be in games, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, you know, they have different thinking. If we were outside the workplace, right, we probably would not enjoy grabbing a beer together, though though I don't know, right? Like Sometimes. Sometimes, yes, right? But I'll tell you where it's never productive is to do that in the workplace. And um, I say this as, you know, someone who, again, cares a lot about issues There is a limit to how much I think, you know, screaming about culture stuff is going to fix those things, right? And, you know, accountability on all fronts, right? Whether it's along like race or gender lines, you know, we just don't have a good system for accountability. And that's why it has to be tackling it on those three fronts, right? Like shifting the cultural norms, right? Like looking for ways that we have, you know, to change the way that things are done that has brought us to where we are today and Mm -hmm. then the last is like okay 
how does accountability work? I don't want to rely on someone having to share their personal trauma for shit to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a whole, I think that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast, not just tied to games, but like the idea of how trauma is used now. Um, and it's sort of, it, in a way, it opens the door, but I feel like trauma sort of also ends the conversation uh, and it ends sort of progress. Like we, we, it's sort of like we, as you said, like, oh, I, it, we need the trauma to sort of get things changed. But as I've seen, as I've sort of, uh, as I've observed what's going on, I kind of feel like trauma is being weaponized to sort of prevent change as well. Uh, and it, it's, it's bad, but that's a whole nother conversation. Like, but, you know, and this is something that's been like going on in my head as I've, I've heard you talk, Connie and, and Philip, is that it might be, and I don't know if this is popular, but like, it might be that there's no way to that any one person or any even within the industry of video games that he can sort of solve the world's problems or that you can solve the industry's problems. Like all you can really do uh, is sort of try to solve your own sort of situation. So like if you run a studio, you can you can or or have a team. That's all you can really solve. And you can't solve the industry on your own. Uh, and uh, that, and that's sort of, it's very unsatisfying for me to say that or to think about it in that, se- in that way. And I think, um, sort of our, all of our lives in sort of the modern Western world in America are very compartmentalized in a lot of senses where like we have our work lives, we have our family lives. And then like, I guess we have a, 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 a society. You know, we live in a society, but I, I almost, I don't know. It, I kind of feel like maybe the only thing we can really do is, is it, it, in the immediate term, at least, is, a, is to, to, to make it better at where we are, like our company um, or our team. Uh, and I, I don't know. It, that, that makes me think of the, this guy, um, uh, but his name's Dan something. He, he's a CEO at a payments company in Seattle. Yeah, he's on Gravity Twitter payments. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That famously, you know, cut his million dollar pay down to seven, 75 grand a year. Right. So he could pay all of his employees, uh, 75 grand a year because that is the, the threshold at which one study says your life satisfaction kind of right. like, you know, can't, plateaus. Can't like that's, that's like right. a sweet yeah. spot where it's like, yeah. it'll have 75K. That's really great. And like, you know, marginal improvements after that. And he did that several years back and uh, has has been very vocal about it in the last uh, – I think I've seen him crop, crop up more on social media and stuff. Just He's been on Twitter while. recently a lot more. Yeah, yeah, to talk more about this. Um, taking an obviously like more, more and more leftist stance on how he thinks like corporations could behave with respect to how they treat their employees. And the amazing thing about this story is that like, you know – He's actually shown evidence that this is effective, right? He's shown right. that the company actually ended up making more money over time because of this pay. It, by the way, like the people who are make, making 75K, you know, out of blue, they've also received like, um, you know, pay raises since then. And I think that sure. the actual median has increased over time. Um, but they've shown, you know, more happiness. They've shown people being able to like achieve things in life outside of work that they couldn't before. That actually makes them more committed to working at that place. These are all positive things. Now, the thing I don't see here, though, is I don't see a lot of other corporations like tripping over themselves to to do the same thing. Do right? the same thing, <laughs> even though he's shown a lot of evidence that they can. And I don't know what that is. Maybe it's because it works at his place because of the way their business model works, and 
it just cannot be achieved. I, I, I don't believe that, but like maybe that's what they purport to say. Yeah, I don't believe that uh, either. Other companies, right? Um, you know, if you think about the profits that like going back to games, like that these huge studios like Rockstar, they'll put, you know, hundreds of mil into GTA, but they'll make billions plus over the lifespan of these games. And these business models are so fucking well tuned at this point that they can take a game and extract so much money out of it, right? Just again, GTA 5, like all the online stuff, all the microtransactions and so on, they've made, uh, I don't know exactly how much, but well over 1.5 billion uh, on this game, right? There's a mm-hmm. ton of fucking profits. They're sitting on a amount of cash that could be redistributed to their staff, which could, from evidence we've seen, make everyone's lives better, but they don't do it, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if games is meant to be the place like i think the the you know to 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 bring it back to video games and like why it's different from the industry is that like because video games purports to be a more progressive industry a more progressive you know uh place of content creation and so on it is also maybe an ideal place for them to have better labor practices to actually have a place that like has you know good working conditions for their staff you know for the staff and and actual like diversity in the content and in the people who make the content and lead the way, right? But we still don't see it. We still just see scandals and stuff all the time, right? Like that that's the disappointing thing to me is that like as mm-hmm. a gamer, mm-hmm. I actually like always grew up thinking that because we were almost kind of like this underdog of this like what was niche, but now we agree is not niche, but quite mainstream subculture that we were unique in that sense um and maybe had more progressive politics and so on but that was all dashed away when like gamergate happened in 2014 where i was like oh i was fucking deluded like there's actually a lot of fucking assholes here and so on um but there always was the sense that like it was a little bit different it was you know different from entertainment different from tech and maybe it could be also different in the way it handled employment but that still doesn't seem to be the case right i think that's that's where i'm kind of stuck and where I, i feel like the industry is stuck is that they keep saying they're going to do better you know they keep doing little things that seem to be better like corporate wokeness but they can't get away from having a scandal every like a me too scandal or a like you know a a union busting scandal or whatever every 18 months right yeah i i think another thing too to keep in mind is you know I know you both know this, but for our audience, right? Even Mm -hmm. when we say games, you know, saying games is like, oh, it's like, you know, film or TV, right? And Mm -hmm. there's just such a, there's such a difference in, for example, you know, working on a, you know, Michael Bay blockbuster film and what it's like and, you know, what it's like working on like an indie film, right? And, and, you know, one of the reasons why I think games has really struggled is because it is more precarious, right? Hollywood is famous, right, for that, but they have a very strong, um, or I don't know, I don't actually know the state, but they seem like they have a much stronger union. And um, for example, I know that, you know, a lot of actors, like they can get, um, you know, health insurance or, you know, some kind of thing to tie them over between projects. And so mm-hmm. the sort of feast and famine cycle of it, um, you know, they can weather that a little bit better. And we don't have something like that in games. And the reality is the majority of the time making games is a very difficult, expensive and risky prospect. and you know, the vast majority of games, you know, don't actually break even. 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, the ones obviously that dominate, you know, the sort of mainstream AAA market are, yes, obviously ones that are made by these big publishers that have deep war chests and and things like that. And sure, I think we can all levy some criticism um, towards them. But it is really tough because, I don't know, making games is fucking hard, man. Every time mm-hmm. I've shipped mm-hmm. a title, it it honestly feels like a miracle. And I've been on some super awesome canceled projects where I was like, I think we could have made money and we didn't. And there are all sorts of reasons, right? It's not, it's not, it's never one thing. And I think it's the fact that there, it's so hard to know how to make a, a game that will make the right money, right? Um, games move super fast, right? Uh, marketing, virality, right? Look at Among Us, right? Which is an incredible game. And came out I two th- years ago. It came out two years ago. <laughs> and now, right? Now, now they're loving that. it. Yeah. Now they're yeah. loving it. And now they're cleaning up at the wards, which I'm so happy for them. But that's the reality for a lot of places. So, you know, as someone who has spent her entire career working for these big publisher owned, you know, studios, the industry is very different depending on like where you're at. Like certainly if you're part of an indie studio, right. Or, you know, are just an indie developer trying to do cool shit on your own, or you're someone who, you know, uh, is owned by a bigger publisher, right. There's, there's, there's huge differences in sort of the, um, I don't know, your ability to sort of do certain things because in the end, right, unless you have a huge war chest and a giant company like Microsoft or Sony backing right. you, right, you could make an amazing game and it could flop and you just need to find a way. Like I was reading some um, indie developers blog and they're fairly successful and they talked about how that's why they keep several years of war chest, right? Because yeah. they, they never yeah. know. And I think it's the unique precariousness of games. Like it used to be that um, just like in film, once once you, you know, ship the project, there would be layoffs afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for sharing this, but like, I know, for example, Blizzard QA, right? They didn't even have really like a full-time QA department. They just laid people off after every cycle and some and of the people and hired them back when they needed them for a next project. And, you know, this happened on my mm-hmm. last project, right? And uh, first of all, fucking shitty, right? And B... Yes. Right. Especially since you see how much money the game has made and you're like, but it's a very sound business practice. It's a very sound business practice, right? (laughs) Under our shitty capitalist system. (laughs) Yes. I'm sure, you know, it makes some spreadsheets look good, but it's like that precariousness and the joke in games is, you know, you basically just move every two, three years. And that's why a lot of people leave. Right. And I think that's especially why, you know, women and people of color leave because we, I think, I think in general, we all know that there's way more, you know, generational wealth, there's way less Mm -hmm. institutional support. And I think that's why you see these folks departing in higher numbers than their white male counterparts. And a lot of it has to do with the uniquely, you know, precarious nature of making video games. No, that's a, that's a fascinating point. Um, and yeah, uh, that might be a good, well, that wasn't a good end. Uh, (laughs) that wasn't a good segue, but, um, maybe, you know, we're getting up to about, you know, an hour 15, we've covered a lot of topics. Um, there is a ton more for us to to discuss. And I think maybe our next pod, um, we'll talk about the sort of 
the the xenophobia uh, that's in the industry. So I think I'll I'll tee that up for what some, our, our next conversation. Um, but I want to thank Connie for um, for being on the pod, and hopefully um, she'll be on many more with us. And uh, Philip, it's always great talking to you. Did you have any other last comments? No, I'm just glad. I'm just glad. I know we're going to make this a regular thing or not. I think it would be cool just because on our last pod about games, we talked about how like you know for Asian Americans, it's a particular subculture that we should embrace more and it's relevant to you know the, the people who listen to this pod and so on um and then we got feedback from you know the, the patreon uh discord and stuff that like people actually really are into this topic and want to hear true. more on it so definitely want to have connie back for another chat on uh, other topics too happy Absolutely. to come back whenever sweet thank you yeah and and hopefully we'll also get my brother on as well um my brother was i think a proto esports athlete and I actually oh, talked yeah? to him recently because I was gonna I'm gonna be on his podcast. And um I asked him, like, do you feel like you could have you could have been a star, you know, if you <laughs> were born now? And he's like, definitely. So um but anyway, thanks so much. Thank you. And we'll see everyone next time. See ya. Bye.